for a, a reading from Scripture. The book of Nehemiah. If you find the Psalms and go backwards a little bit. Right before Esther. Nehemiah chapter 13. Now what he says and does may remind you a little bit about someone who cleansed the temple. He certainly had the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nehemiah chapter 13. I'm going to commence, uh, commence reading in verse 15. So, Nehemiah 13, verse 15. Let us listen to God's Word. In those days saw I in Judah some treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in sheaves and lading asses, as also wine, grapes, and figs, and all manner of burdens which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I testified against them in the day wherein they sold victuals or food. Now, Nehemiah, remember, is the, is the governor. There dwelt men of Tyre also therein, which brought fish and all manner of ware and sold on the Sabbath unto the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. Then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said unto them, What evil thing is this that ye do and profane the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers thus, and did not our God bring all this evil upon us and upon this city? Yet ye bring more wrath upon Israel by profaning the Sabbath. The word profaning, remember, means to make common. And it came to pass that when the gates of Jerusalem began to be dark before the Sabbath, I commanded that the gates should be shut and charged that they should not be opened till after the Sabbath. And some of my servants said I at the gates that there should no burden be brought in on the Sabbath day. So the merchants and sellers of all kind of ware lodged without Jerusalem once or twice. Then I testified against them and said unto them, Why lodge ye about the wall? If ye do so again, I will lay hands on you. <laughs> Sorry, I just couldn't help it. But... Uh, Think of the, the look that must have been on his face and then on their faces. If ye do so again, I will lay hands on you. From that time forth came they no more on the Sabbath. And I commanded the Levites that they should cleanse themselves and that they should come and keep the gates to sanctify the Sabbath day. Remember me, O, o my God, concerning this also and spare me according to the greatness of thy mercy. We continue our series in the life of Moses, and this is a huge uh, point in his life when the Lord gave him the two tablets of stone written with the very finger of God. These ten words are called a Decalogue. We find the Ten Commandments listed both in Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. You remember that uh, Exodus 20 references creation, that we are to imitate God. One reason to keep 
the Sabbath holy is to imitate the Lord and to rest uh, from our own works and to worship Him. And we have a, a, a revision in chapter 5 of Deuteronomy where creation is not referenced this time, but the Exodus. That they are to remember that they were slaves in Egypt and they are to uh, appreciate the Sabbath day and to especially uh, allow their servants and even their animals to rest. And so the spiritual import, their application is that we are to remember that we're not only creatures of God as we keep this day holy, but we are uh, saints of the Lord that we're saved. So we remember Him as our Creator and as our Redeemer. And we can understand that the Sabbath day of the week changed when Jesus rose from the dead. It's like the, it's like the revision from Exodus to Deuteronomy. A greater work was done when Jesus rose from the dead. His redemption, our redemption from sin. And so yes, we are to remember God as our creator, but a person cannot go to heaven merely with God as creator. In order to go to heaven, you have to have God as your redeemer. And so a greater reason to keep the Sabbath is the fact that God is our redeemer. We can understand that the Lord would now make it the first day before six days of work where in the Old Testament it was the last of the seven after days of work. You remember the the picture there. Adam, before the fall, was to work for his salvation. So work days came first, and then the rest came at the end. If Adam would have remained sinless, he would have earned salvation, and he would have earned rest, eternal life. It's the covenant of works. But he failed, and we failed in him. Now we rest in Christ, and we labor consequently. So the six days come after the rest. In redemption, your salvation is by grace alone. And so we can understand it being the first day, and then our labor is a result. Our works are a result of our salvation. But it's not a popular thing today, as I think all of us know. When I was growing up, you had a lot of signs started to go up open Sundays. They're very rare today now because it's, it's barely a relic. Everybody seems to be open on Sundays. I think there's only one place that I can remember uh, that I think is Monroe Muffler still has a sign up open Sundays. But people don't need to put those up anymore because... Um, everybody is, seems to be 24-7. And it's very rare and an eye-opening when we find the, uh, the Lord's Day uh, respected. So I asked the question this morning, for instance, what do Hobby Lobby and Chick-fil-A have in common? I think, I think we all are very well aware is the fact, though, that they're relics of days gone by. Even banks are seemingly starting to open on Sundays. Um, But again, closed Sundays is rare these days. Though there is some example out there, um, there's a pool place in Springville that's closed on Sunday, but I would hope that if they got bigger in their business that they wouldn't uh, change. 
So I think it's it's wise for us to to uh, um, frequent places that respect the Lord's day. Now I, it was interesting. I went on the Chick Fil A um, website and Mr. Kathy, who was the founder, he gave a religious reason for the fact that they closed on Sundays. He he gave it as a reason of keeping the Sabbath holy that. He was encouraging people to go to church on Sunday. But if you notice now, the newer reason is they want people to spend time with their families and friends, which is certainly something that we do in the congregation itself. But you understand that what happens often is the religious reason takes a social reason and then it's jettisoned altogether as time goes on. And so what the Bible teaches is it's not... The family isn't the priority. It is the Lord and His family as the priority. And yet we find that that is not always the case. So, remember the first four commandments deal with our relationship with God. It's, vertic- or it's, it's vertical, where the last six are horizontal, our relationship with man. The first commandment, who we are to worship, thou shalt have no other gods beside me. The second commandment, how we are to worship in spirit and in truth as God has commanded. The third commandment, why we are to worship. His name is holy. He is a holy God. And the fourth speaks about the necessity of time. God sets aside a time. And, of course, people with tongue in cheek will say, well, every day is the Lord's. But you and I know that our minds are focused, for instance, when we're at work for eight hours. And yes, every day is devoted to the Lord, but there's a certain day that God devotes. And we don't argue when we have birthday celebrations. We don't say to them, well, every day we should celebrate that you're alive. We don't argue the fact that we have a birthday for someone or an anniversary. It's a special time that's set aside. And the Lord of, of all, He's the God of the universe, He's our Creator, He made us, and doesn't He have the right to say, well, I don't want just one in 365. I want one in seven. I made you as my creatures and I've redeemed you through Christ. And that, of course, is found in our, in our uh, substandards. The fact that a time is necessary for God's people to set aside to worship the Lord. And Isaiah 58, which we read together, says it should be a delight. And I'm challenging all of us as with any command of God, do we have a heart? Do we have a heart not to steal? Do we have a heart to give? Do we have a heart to tell the truth and a heart not to lie? It's, it's in the heart. And Jesus said, you remember, He summarized the Ten Commandments with two, and they both have to deal with the heart. Thou shalt love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is the reason we would obey the first four commandments. And do you love your neighbor? Is that why you don't steal from him? Or is it just you don't want to be caught? Or is it just, it's just politically correct? No, I don't steal because I love my neighbor. I tell him the truth even if it's, it costs me my reputation or whatever. Or it costs me a, a promotion of a job. I tell the truth to my neighbor because I love him. I care about his soul. He's made in the image of God. And I want to point him to Jesus. So again, it comes down to the heart. And the purpose of the day 
is that we keep it holy. He says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The word to keep it holy means to separate, to make it special. Just like we would have a special day for a birthday or a wedding or some other occasion. He calls it my holy day in Isaiah 58. So it's not just called the Sabbath, which means rest. It's called the Lord's Day in the Old Testament as well as the New. Remember I read twice in Leviticus 19.30 and 26.2. He says the particular way, the particular purpose of the day is to reverence my sanctuary, to keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. What we learn in the Bible is the chief way of keeping the Lord's day separate is by public worship. The word reverencing my sanctuary means to respect it. And we respect it by attendance, by preparation of heart, by participation. And the reason he gives is I am the Lord. I'm the one that's, that's set this aside. You're in covenant with me. And this is your covenant duty and responsibility. There's even a psalm dedicated for the Lord's Day, Psalm 92. And if you notice, it says, uh, to show forth your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night. So it shows us it's the whole day. It's a, it's a worship day. In, in Leviticus 23.3, they were to have a holy convocation. And the word convocation means assembly. For instance, it's used in Isaiah 1, the calling of assemblies. In Nehemiah 8, verse 8, literally it reads, He made them discern in the assembly. And so it speaks about uh, the fact that you're not just to be at home sleeping, but you're to have holy assemblies. And you can understand why Protestants have not just a morning service. It's not to make people miserable or to to uh, have two uh, offerings given to, to fill the coffers. No, it's the purpose of spending the day with the Lord. And, and uh, of course, in the days when they had no artificial light and horses and buggies, they would, they would stay for lunch and they would, they would have an afternoon service and then they would go home. They had long, many of them had long distances to travel. And of course, in, in our case, we have an afternoon service and that is because of the buffalo, the notorious buffalo weather. Well, years ago, we realized that it was dangerous to go back home and try to return again in the snow. And so we, we began having afternoon services and we continued that uh, tradition. Yes, it's a tradition, but some say, well, why don't you go back to the evening? Well, because we haven't, but may I say, we can we can go somewhere else. And there's a church up the road in Armour Bible Presbyterian Church that has a four o'clock service. So we could go to three without any problem each Lord's Day. And of course, you can go on the internet for a live service at six o'clock, six thirty, and seven o'clock. If you go on sermonaudio.com, you'll find about 150 live services around six o'clock in the evening. And I would certainly encourage you, but time to read the Bible, time to take a walk and spend with the Lord, time to meditate, time to visit. And, and we certainly get into that as we speak about the, the activities of the day. So it's, it's time with God. And again, is our heart desiring that? Jesus desired to be among His people. It says, as His manner was, He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Jesus' habit was to spend the Lord's day in public worship, as Paul 
As his manner was, he went in unto them that is in the synagogues, and on three Sabbath days he preached to them. The Lord loveth the gates of Zion, the psalmist says. I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go into the house of the Lord. So again, it's a matter of the heart. Yes, it is a matter of obedience, but Jesus said he wants obedience from the heart. Remember, he says, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And so often... We obey out of, out of mere duty or out of tradition or out of just a, a slavish fear of being punished. And those are immature at best, aren't they, reasons. We should obey Him because He's our God. We love Him. We want to please Him. And worship is the primary way of keeping the Sabbath holy. Private worship, certainly, but public worship especially. Morning and evening, the day is the Lord's. And Paul had no reason, he, he had no legitimate leverage to say this unless it was, it was a commandment. Hebrews 10.25, why did he say this? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. He's saying that's the reason, that's, the, that's, the, that's keeping the Sabbath. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. In other words, he's saying, I have found that professing Christians have been sluggish and seldom at this. And, it's, and we say, why? Why is it the, the habit, when Jesus' habit and Paul's habit was to be in the synagogues, assembling together, and he's finding that there are professing Christians that are out of the habit. They're actually in the habit of missing. And he doesn't give us the reason. But he says, it's so important because you're exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. In other words, Paul's saying it's critical for us to have a judgment day mentality, to be ready to meet the Lord because we're together and we're really, as it were, uh, iron sharpening iron and, and we're aligning our, ourselves in, in light of the days to come, the judgment day. So in other words, he's saying not less but more. And what we're finding in Christendom today, it's, it, they're meeting less, fewer times than more. When you and I agree, you read the book of Acts, they were meeting often daily. And it's just the minimal. Are we mere minimalists when we meet just twice on Sunday and once for a prayer meeting? And yet we find that, that churches are indeed minimalists. Andrew Bonner, remember, I read that section. He's got a great commentary on Leviticus and the section where it says, reverencing the sanctuary, says the streets aren't to be just empty of merchants and people going to businesses, but they're to be full of people going to the houses of God to worship and singing the songs of Zion. Neglect of this is neglect of our souls. You say it's impractical to give a whole day. Well, we give whole days to work. And whole days to vacation. It's inconvenient. Well, do we expose our soul's lovelessness? You know, we ready ourselves for heaven when we take a whole day with the Lord because heaven is one long Sabbath day. And I wondered, is that a delight to us to think that we'll spend 24-7 with the Lord and His people, singing His praises and serving Him? So again, the double services are not just tradition. They are biblical. They had uh, hours of prayer and hours on the Lord's Day and the Sabbath day, two specific uh, days of sacrifice. The priests were very busy indeed, weren't they? But we look at not only the purpose of the day, but the pursuits of the day. 
obviously in the study of scriptures we understand uh, what pursuits we find that the believers and the apostles and the Lord Jesus Christ uh, experienced and, and uh, as they pursued how to keep the day holy. Now, obviously it's important for us to be rested physically. And so often we've found, if you look at, at uh, books on the Lord's Day, people will say try to be in bed early on Saturday so that we are rested and, and able to awake and seek the Lord and, and be able to stay awake in the services. So it takes planning. But there are three particular activities given under these categories that we find the Lord and His apostles engaged in. They're called activities of necessity, activities of ministry, and activities of mercy. So think of those three thoughts. You may find a diff, uh, an additional category as you study, but these have been the, the traditional categories that believers have um, concluded in the study of Scripture. Activities of necessity, activities of ministry, and activities of mercy. So what would come under the activities of necessity as we study the Scriptures? Well, eating is a necessity. We're not to fast. Matter of fact, we often find uh, preaching against fasting in the Bible and in history because fasting tends to be you, you, you uh, humble your soul and it's a sorrowful time as you confess your sins and you and you seek the Lord to, uh, to to change us. So fasting has not been something that has been recommended on the Sabbath day, but certainly we need to eat. And the disciples were hungry as they were going from synagogue to synagogue. It says they stopped in the fields to, uh, to not steal the food. But remember, they were to leave portions behind. They were not to, to harvest the corners of the field. And so they just stopped and got some granola in the fields. And the Pharisees were, were hounding them for that as if they were harvesting. Look, they're just eating. David took the showbread to keep a, a minute Ceremonial law is less important than to feed a starving, a hungry person who's made in the image of God. And so cooking and so on. Of course, we try to cook the previous day so that we're not burdened. And the feeding animals needs to be done. Uh, resting ourselves and resting animals and servants. It says in the, in the fourth commandment, to rest your servants, to rest your ox and your donkey. And I think it also indicates uh, a third of the cattle as well. So you're talking not only of, of the, the animals that work for you, but the animals that provide food for us. They're all to be rested. Policing is necessary. We need prisons. We need uh, cities watched over. We need churches now with, with people with concealed weapons these days. These are works of necessity. You think about hospital care, pharmacies, and helicopters standing ready for emergency flights, ambulances. These all need to be uh, planned and in place on the Sabbath day. Think about energy, electricity, natural gas, water, and sewer. All these things need to be kept current and ready when there's an emergency. And of course, places of hospitality. Uh, we would people have argued whether hotels are necessary or B and B's, but people would classify that as a work of necessity. Uh, 
hospitality ministries, necessities. And the second category is ministry or piety. The Lord Jesus said in Matthew 12, verse 5, that the priests in the Old Testament profane the Sabbath and are guiltless. Now, what he means by profaning it, not that they were breaking the commandment, but that was the busiest day for them. They were, they were slaughtering and cutting up more animals on the Sabbath day than any other day because, again, you had the morning and the evening sacrifices. And, of course, today we find that people who are preaching, Sunday school teachers, nursery workers, I mean, that's hard work. Have you ever been in a nursery? Have you ever seen the poor? I mean, I, I, I go to a day school. Uh, pick up kids, 35 kids at a day school in the morning. What do you call that? A preschool before I take them to... <laughs> you should see the, the teachers and the workers when the kids finally get on the bus. Whew. I'm glad you, <laughs> I'm glad it's your turn now to take them. I only have them for five minutes. But they have had them for an hour or two hours and they're exhausted. And you can understand nursery workers and churches and Sunday school teachers of twos and threes and four-year-olds. You're doing a lot of babysitting as a a lot of teaching. I remember when Tanya and I taught two-year-old Sunday school. It was, I mean, it was as much stay in your seat. You know, okay, I see your hand, but you know, they're all just jumping around and trying to talk at the same time, and it's it's physically exhausting. And how much more in the Lord ushers. People that, that, as it were, sacrifice, they have to go in the parking lot every so often and check you know, whether there's a strange person out there. And this is going on today. Evangelization of lost people. Is a good, it's a good day on the Lord's Day to reach people with the Gospel of Christ. We, when, we, when we conducted door-to-door campaigns, we did so on the Sabbath afternoon. And it was just refreshing, though it is exhausting but people need the gospel on Sundays as well as on Mondays. It was an interesting thing. I remember we went to a house and, and the man was on his riding mower and, and he was kind enough to stop and turn it off. And all, We didn't say anything about what he was doing or just wanted to give him the gospel. And he just looked at us. He said, I guess I shouldn't be doing this on, on Sunday, should I? That was like ten years ago. And I said, sir, we're not here to... to to judge you. We're here to point you to Jesus. And it was his own conscience that, that spoke that day. Of course, being in church service is, is exhausting, isn't it? It can be exhausting to sing from your, from your hearts. And, and just the concentration on the Word of God is exhaustive to the mind, isn't it? You can almost feel the, or you can almost hear the, the wheels turning when, when people are listening and, and, uh, I don't see it, but it's almost like there can be smoke coming from both sides of your of your heads as we're pondering the things of God. So ministry, piety, works, activities are certainly to fill up the Lord's day. Um, how about works or activities of mercy? The third category, activities. Remember of of necessity of ministry. And of mercy. What would we put under mercy? Well, we would certainly say an emergency that occurs. We want to show, the Lord says, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. Someone has a heart attack. Someone has an accident and they're in the ditch. There's a, there are emergencies that we should be ready 
to uh, aid, to, to show to people. Again, we don't uh, roll down our window with someone that's, whose car is halfway in the ditch and say, buddy, stay there till tomorrow morning. I'll see you at, at midnight. No, no, we help people. Just like Jesus said, what happens to you inconsistent Pharisees when your ox or your sheep falls in the ditch? You pull it out. Is a man not, well, he said, is a man not more valuable than an ox or a sheep? We have a snowstorm helping people out of the banks, snow banks, and shoveling someone so they can get out of their home. People run out of gas. What about tending to the injured? What about delivering a baby? What about milking animals? What about ERs at hospitals and veterinary clinics? And perhaps we might have said this under the ministry category, but isn't it an act of mercy to visit the widows and and orphans in their affliction? And you'd be surprised when you go to the nursing homes how few visitors they're getting these days, and especially after the pandemic. They're lonely. And we had over 35 years of ministering at Lake, Lake uh, Elderwood in Hamburg. And we'd often go, it was our second and fourth Sundays of the month, we would often go in between Sundays because we had more time inside the rooms. But it was just amazing how lonely people are. And many of these folks don't have relatives in town or relatives that have passed. And it's a, it's a work of mercy as well as ministry to visit uh, shut-ins, to visit old veterans who can't get out anymore. I mean, you can just uh, go into parks and see lonely people sitting by themselves on benches. I mean, just we use our imagination. We, we ask the Lord, Lord, help me to think about what I can do. Uh, write a letter. Call someone who's lonely. Visit somebody who shut into their house. I mean, the whole day can be spent not only in public worship, but in, in visiting, in certainly t- time to read more of the Bible, take more time to pray. You can never say there's too much time. And again, how often people say, aren't we straining at gnats? Yet we strain not to lie. We strain it, and we're careful not to kill with our tongue and with our eyes. We're careful about the commandment about stealing and the commandment of immorality. The Lord says, look, it's not just that you commit immorality. If you look at a woman with a lust, it's sin. So the Lord says we do. We do go to the second mile to keep God's word. Even the realm of blasphemy, taking the Lord's name in vain. It's not straining it in that. It's seeking to please God. And we're asking the Lord, help us to, to obey you better than we have and from our hearts. And the last question I have is, am I my brother's keeper? What we find in the fourth commandment is, not only that we, we keep it ourselves and we obey the Lord from our hearts, but he, he commands in the fourth commandment leaders. In the fifth commandment, He commands followers. So the family is at the very heart of the Decalogue. But the question I ask us this afternoon is, do we love our neighbor enough to facilitate his keeping of the Sabbath? Ask that question. It's not, have I kept it? But is my keeping of it facilitating my neighbors? It says in Deuteronomy, 
guard the Sabbath to keep it holy. The word keep the Sabbath holy in Deuteronomy, the word keep is a separate word than the word to be holy. It means to guard it. Why would he say guard it? Think a moment there. Why would he tell us to guard it? Because you guard something that's threatened. You guard a prisoner so he doesn't get out. You guard a house so it's not robbed. To guard something means it's, it's, there's, there, there's, there's something that's encroaching. There's something that's threatening it. So you look at it two ways. The leaders are to facilitate the obedience of those that are following him, them. And the leaders are to forbid and keep those who want to threaten and encroach it from doing so. So the, the four kinds of leaders in in Exodus and Deuteronomy are parents, employers, owners, and magistrates, at least. And obviously this is just categoric. Every other kind of leader is involved. So he says, Thou art to keep the commandment, but thy son and thy daughter also. That's parents. Or we would even say elders in the church because we're, we're, we're uh, leaders. But employers, secondly, not your manservants and your maidservants. And then your cattle, your ox, and your donkey. Those are owners. And then your stranger, your sojourner that's in your city. Magistrates are commanded and hosts, obviously. And so, the first thing is, the Lord's saying, I want you to facilitate their obedience. In other words, rest your animals. They need a day in seven. I, I, this, this is, you need to rest them. An arrested animal, arrested animal on the Lord's day is going to give you a better week to follow. And, you know, obviously these things can be proven. And I wish I had all the books that burned in the fire, but I had about a half dozen books. And remember I told you about these Sabbath conferences that the president would sponsor. And all these representatives would come and say, for instance, representative of animals, you know, veterinarians, representative of, of owners of ranches with animals, representatives of magistrates, uh, civic leaders, representative of churches. And they all would come and say, look, one day in seven is going to be profitable. It's not only obedient to God, it's profitable for your business, for your home, for your church, for society. So we need to facilitate. Parents, we, we relieve our children from chores that are unnecessary on the Lord's Day. Parents, we are to oversee Bible studies that our children conduct on their own on the Lord's Day. To have quiet in the home and not have the TV blaring, for instance. To ensure that our children rest early. We used to do our best to have our children in bed early Er, on Saturday so that they could have a good night's sleep. Employers who have businesses that are not necessary should be closed Sundays to rotate workers if they are, if they are working things of necessity. Think about a hospital manager. What would, what would be done? Well, let's, let's rotate. If we can have a doctor every other Sunday instead of every Sunday. And I know often what happens is the the, 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 the channel or the chain of command, the one that's the longest. Will, will, but, you know, 
if everybody was obviously on board, they would agree with even the doctor that's been there the longest time would say, look, I'll take a Sunday so that you can have it off and attend your church. That's the ideal. Rotating workers of necessity and mercy. When we, after the house was burned down and we, and we uh, prayed for and, and agreed with the builder, we asked him, please, unless there's an absolute emergency, we're asking that no building takes place on Sunday. And we said the same to a landscaper who we had to have uh, for, for uh, a couple days. And he said, I'll, 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 Sunday's the best day for me in my busy schedule. We said, well, I'm so, sorry, I'm sorry, sir, we're asking. And if this means that you can't do it or it's going to take longer for you to do it, then fine. But he came, I think, the very next Monday. So we need to be facilitating the obedience of those that we serve. And when you think about how the NCAA, this is still happening today, the NCAA Basketball Association, as far as I know, it's still current. There are schools that have asked the NCA years and years ago, and I know this is basketball, I don't know if it's the other. There are schools that have said we don't want to play basketball on Sundays. And so up to this last year, the NCA basketball tournament had Thursday, Saturday, and Friday, Sunday schedules of tournament games. And these schools that ask not to play on Sunday always get the slot Thursday and Saturday. And if you remember right, when did the, the semifinals and final game take place? On Saturday and Monday. They have accommodated a, a very few schools that will not play on Sundays. They're facilitating who, those who keep the Sabbath. And you know, I speak this to our shame. You know who the main school is? And as far as I know, it's still happening. They may have changed. They're changing other things. The Mormon school, Brigham Young University. They've always, when they've been in, in the tournament, they've always been Thursday, Saturday, slotted by the NCAA. Where are the Protestant schools? Jettisoned. You don't find it the same way in in the Baptist school in, the, in, the, in ACC, the Wake Forest, they'll be glad to play Fridays and Sundays. And so we, are we facilitating the obedience of our followers? Magistrates, are you keeping hunting from taking place on Sunday? Are you punishing businesses if they won't open, keep open in the malls on Sunday? You know, Chick-fil-A has such power, such leverage. They're allowed in the malls in some places on Sundays, and that's about the only place closed. Are our magistrates enforcing voting on Sundays? Parades and fairs? You know, in the colonies, we, we went to a place in Boston, remember years ago, where they pretended like they were back in the colonial days. They dressed like colonial people, and they... Their mentality was of colonial. There was somebody in a, with a hole in a garden when we went up to this one house. And, and we, you, you could chit-chat with them and ask them questions. And finally I said to one of them, um, so you, do you enjoy working in the garden seven days a week? And the man or the woman, whoever it was, says, oh no. 
He says, we don't, we don't work in the garden on Sundays. They knew and they know what it was like in the old days. We need certainly not only to facilitate those who follow us and serve us, but secondly, the Bible says we're to guard the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And we read, I read to you Nehemiah 13, where Nehemiah, first of all, you notice he rebuked the elders in Judah. He didn't rebuke the, the merchants from Tyre. The first thing he did was saying, he said, what are you nobles doing? You magistrates, you're letting these merchants come in Jerusalem. It's not like they've gone to Tyre. You've let these people come to Jerusalem. You've opened the gates to the merchants and all the fish and all the bread and all the wares that they're selling. And he, what he did was he said, look what happened in the days of the Jews. God punished them for 70 years in, in Babylon because they would not keep the Sabbath day. And Nehemiah then turned his attention to the merchants. He told his servants, keep those gates closed. Close them at dark on the night before. But he could hear the merchants come to the gates as, the, as, as the, the, the morning began to dawn. And he went outside and he says, look, this has got to be the last time that you come to these gates or I'm going to lay hands on you. Here was a faithful magistrate. Here was the Spirit of the Lord Jesus who went to the temple and cleansed it, not once but twice, because they were profaning the temple. And Nehemiah said, you're profaning the Sabbath day. We have so many threats and encroachments today. There are no longer businesses that, again, say close Sundays. Very rare. Because they're saying, "Let it, come on in. And Christians are just walking right in. What about boycotting places on Sundays? Use them, yes, on Mondays, Tuesdays, and so on. But you remember that the runner who boycotted the Olympics on Sunday. I'm not running on Sunday. I honor the Lord above man. And there are still some people that are willing to risk public shame to honor the Lord's name. Employers who are opening on Sundays, pro-leagues and businesses... Employers that are saying, we'll pay you double if you work on Sunday. Dan has shared it publicly. GM will pay you double time if you work on Sundays. They're going to give account to God. Those, magist- those leaders are going to give account to God who make it easier for us to disobey God. You may be overlooked to promotion if you obey the Lord and refuse to work a work of unnecessity on Sunday. Let it be. Him that honors me, I will honor. So, I trust that that we who may be parents or owners, think of owners of horse racing, allowing their horses to race on Sunday. Think about even terrifying deer on Sunday. I mean, let the deer rest one day a week. You know, we terrify these critters seven days a week. Mandistrates, again, mandatory Sundays in meals. Mandatory meetings. How do we navigate a Sabbath desecrating world? 
And again, boycott for a day. Shut the gates. Don't buy on Sundays. Do business with God-fearers like Chick-fil-A and Hobby Lobby. We don't need to turn the television on to watch the Olympics on Sunday. Look, I'm not making lists. I'm just challenging us. Is there, is there not somewhere where the rubber meets the road? There are ethical issues for each of us to discern on our own, but I'll throw a few out to us. What about students doing their term papers on Sundays? Mowing. Are restaurants all necessary? Do you know we have a modern day illustration of a restaurant owner closing on Sunday and opening on Monday and it cost him dearly right next door? Our elder? I didn't I didn't force him. I didn't tell him. It was it was it was Dan and Lisa on their own, studying God's word. Said, Look, we're putting our servants to work. And their servant said, Look, you go to church on Sunday and we'll run the restaurant. He says, No, the Bible says we're responsible. This is absolutely necessary, like maybe a hotel restaurant or what have you. No, we're not going to. So he lost as it were, the restaurant. But he sold it. Sold it enough, as far as I can remember, that all their bills were paid and not much more by the price of the sale. And I won't forget that the new owner rented a neon, one of those lighted signs that he put out front, Open Sundays. That was on the first sign that they rented before they opened and we just said, him that honors me, I will honor. And I guess it wasn't a shock. I was saddened. But six months later, I noticed a moving truck in the backyard. They were out of business in six months. Him that honors me, I will honor. Again, it's a matter of the heart. It's time with the Lord. It's like, again, golfing on your honeymoon. Nothing wrong with golfing. But on the honeymoon, leaving your, your new wife or your new husband behind, having a newspaper open on the, your first date in the restaurant, nothing wrong with reading a newspaper, but it's not the time. We were in a church service. This is not, this is, I'm not going to lie, obviously, but we were in a church service and they said, let's pray at the beginning of the service. And my wife and I bowed our heads and we heard clip. Clip, clip, clip. And I looked over and there was a guy in the front pew clipping his fingernails. <laughs> I mean, is there anything wrong with clipping your fingernails? But in the church service while someone was praying, and I, 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 I opened my eyes, you know, I couldn't. And I looked up and the guy that was one of the elders behind the man praying looked over like in absolute shock. And the man who was clipping his fingernails was a leader in the church. All I'm saying to you is there's nothing wrong with clipping your fingernails. But really, time is of the essence, isn't it? We might say, what about sleeping in church? It's not the time. <laughs> it's the Lord's day. You see, the Sabbath is a rehearsal for heaven. It's God's day. It's not even primarily family day. It's God's day. It's God's day. And I trust that 
will ask, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Give me a heart to do what's right. And help me to please you. And again, it's not to earn salvation or to earn stars or points. It is to simply please God. I trust. As Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. It's not popular. It's not politically correct to preach on the Lord's Day. It isn't anymore. You're going to find much of Christianity are going to say, you legalist. Don't you know that's a relic of the Old Testament? Don't you know that it's no longer for today? How do we answer that, brother and sister? It's one of the Ten Commandments. It's God's Word. So you want me to jettison it because it's not popular? Because we're threatened to be called legalists? Well, am I a legalist because I don't want to lie? Or I don't want to steal? Or I don't want to commit adultery? I trust it's, it's because we love the Lord and we want to please Him. Let's pray.